Hi, my name is Cindy Dishmay Montgomery, and you're listening to Experiencing Data with Brian T. O'Neill. You're now Experiencing Data with Brian O'Neill. Experiencing Data explores how product managers, analytics leaders, data scientists, and executives are looking at design and user experience as a way to make their custom enterprise data products and analytics applications more useful, usable, and valuable. And now, here's your host, the founder and principal of Designing for Analytics, Brian O'Neill. Welcome back to Experiencing Data. This is Brian T. O'Neill, and today I have the head of data strategy, global real assets at Morgan Stanley on the line. That's Cindy Dishbay Montgomery. Welcome, Cindy. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. And why don't I have you on the show? Well, I, at some point, you would join my mailing list and, and you would reply to the little, you know, welcome autoresponder email that goes out. And you had said, you know, I think this work's important that we're doing. And you said, I've developed my data and analytics teams to focus on design and product, including the data engineers and data scientists. And I was like, yay. And then I was like, well, what does that mean to you? And what exactly is going on over there? So that's what I want to hear about. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. I am super excited to have this conversation because whoever hears it, I, I feel like you're, you're creating this community of people who will be product centric with all things data. And I think that's where we where we need to go. So what does that mean? That means my role, if I describe it in very simple terms, like I'm, I'm here to you know, monetize and commercialize data in whatever form, right? So in order to do that, you really need to start with where's value. And there's just so many good constructs in the product management world that we have not yet really, you know, brought very close to the data world. We tend to start with, you know, the skill sets and the tools and the MLAI, you know, all the buzzwords, right? And, the, and, and they're important and I love them. And I wouldn't be a proper data geek if I wasn't extolling the virtues of, of all these uh, data concepts. But brass tacks, when you have a happy set of consumers of your data products, you're creating real value. So I focus on refining like whatever methodologies or techniques or, you know, leadership methods or just bread and butter designing of tools and processes to create value. What's the not way of that so that I can understand what the, you called it, like there's a lot from product management from, I assume you mean software product management that we can bring into the data product world What's the not version of that? Like, if you're not doing it that way, what does that look like? And tell me how it, because I want to understand the difference between what you're doing and what you, and probably what I perceive a lot of other organizations doing as well. If you're starting a business case with a tool or a technique, that's the not way. Like if you're starting with, we need a data lake and that's the business case. And that's how you're evaluating success. So you're evaluating success from the activity of creating a data lake or a data warehouse, or I created a predictive analytic check, right? If, if you as a data person are selling that business case, and then you're expecting everyone to be happy with the fact that you checked the box on that technique, you're creating a scenario for both sides to be very unhappy with what happens. How do you get to the point where I often tell like my seminar students, we're not order fulfillment. 
you know, this is not McDonald's and you order, they order what they want and you hand it through the drive through window and off they go. Like the path to value lies through adoption and adoption lies through giving people something that actually helps them do their work, which means you need to understand what the problem space is. And that may not be written down anywhere because they're voicing the need as a solution. Like I need a cast for my arm. No doctor would just give you a cast and not ask any questions about what's wrong. That's not how it works. So talk to me about how your team with this kind of mindset you have, how do they unpack what's actually needed and get out of kind of the implementation tactic first approach and get into kind of the problem space approach first? Like, how do they do that? Like what's involved? I love that analogy of, you know, the, you don't walk into a doctor's office asking for a cast, but although some people may, you know, go and, you know, they look on WebMD and they come to the doctor and say, I want that. And I'm like, nope, 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 back up. Well, they may be right. Some of the time they may be right, but we have to have a conversation to know because they are self-diagnosing. We are probably not like I'm not an arm specialist or a bone specialist. So I don't know if that's the right solution. Maybe sometimes they are, but I think a conversation is required, possibly some research to really understand if that's the right technique. And is it the right thing right now? Maybe it should be AI over the next two years, but next quarter, does it need to be that? No, maybe a simpler analytic approach might be more uh, just a simple dashboard or a tool or something would be fine. How do you guys uh, unpack that? And how do you have that conversation? Yeah. You know, I find it, what you're saying is absolutely true. You have to have that conversation. I think that the 10 steps leading up to having that conversation are also quite critical, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's usually someone from a business perspective And I say business in the sense, because I I do consider data a business function. Let's say I'm in a marketing, you know, department and you realize I, I can't make sense if, you know, the channels we're spending marketing dollars are actually giving us the right return. Like, are, are they really helping our sales funnel? Let's say someone identifies that problem and they realize it's a really large problem and we need, we need a specialist, right? So they normally, you know, go out either like seek a consultant or read blogs or something and say, aha, I need a data scientist. Now, here's where this can go a bit wrong, right? I think that whoever is the first person in the data role needs to be senior enough to feel comfortable with pushback. Now, I've seen people early in their career just be, you know, completely you know, value centered and have no problem, you know, saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, maybe I don't need to use this tool. But it's, it's quite a human element to feel uncomfortable. Like if you're the first person in a data role, you have the burden of being the first person to get something right. And if they're very clear with, you know what, I need a dashboard that does this. I find folks that are, you know, fairly early in their careers will say, okay, I'm going to build this dashboard. And if it's not the right thing, it creates a dynamic where both sides are very, you know, the person who created is demoralized. And the person who asked for it realized that wasn't quite it. And, you know, you didn't get it right. So we're all unhappy. So a bit of a, you know, uh, theory I have is your first hire should be a more senior one. And they may not be the all singing, all dancing. They can do TensorFlow and Tableau and you know, all these things, but they can actually help identify what the right problem is and the right solution for it, and then coordinate who needs to get in there. Now, I say that with, you know, a degree of 
even skepticism in my own advice because, you know, it, it's more about personality and, and probably it's, it's a bit of an uncomfortable way of starting the conversation because it's not a technical skill set. It's definitely a soft skill set that either you develop over time or you just kind of have organically. And I, and I think that once you create, when, once you have the right two people, the person with the problem, the person that knows how to elicit what the actual, you know, do the five whys or whatever technique to figure out why did you need that? Then you, you know, then there's a lot of, you know, comfort with, okay, I don't have to oversell doing a regression analysis or, you know, building a dashboard, maybe all we need to do is a one-time analysis and then figure it out from there. Is this way of thinking tied to strategic work? And does this mean that part of your role is to figure out what the strategy is on all these kind of various projects? Or is your role in strategy more about an overarching vision that's kind of always evolving, but it's setting a general path for the ship to travel towards? How does that play into this? It's kind of a, a T right? The top of the T is I spend my time with, let's say, senior business leadership, understanding their business goals in business terms only. What does growth look like? You know, who are our customers? What is success for them? What is the footprint of the organization? I'm very big on if you're coming into an organization, you have to know what the departments are. How do they work together? What's the value chain from the moment we say we want to, you know, have this business goal to, you know, the moment that value is created for our end customers and for the company as well. Right. So once you can map all that out, then, you know, the long part of the T is what skills and re- you know, resources do I need to execute on that? I firmly believe there's only ever two things that can go wrong in any data initiative not having the right executive alignment on what success is in business terms and not having the right skill at the right time. And that goes for, you know, the tools and the techniques as well. So sometimes, you know, when you start, the skill sets you need is just about getting good data quality, right? You know, having the data and understanding where the issues are and giving people time back because they're spending time manually trying to get the data right and not actually analyzing the data and finding new insights in it. That may be where the first step to value is. And then if that's the first step, then the, the next successive step should still be very much in line with how do you help each department that is in the value chain create whatever incremental value they need to create for an customer. In the banking world, it'll be an investor or maybe like an institutional client, but the same applies. I, I, I don't think these techniques are, are, are unique to my world. But I, I think the challenge of being comfortable that you have to be uncomfortable for a minute, right? Kind of step out of your comfort zone. And if you come from more, let's say like a data governance role and really comfortable with like, all right, we need to write our policies and procedures, or if you're a data scientist and you're all about, all right, you know, we need to adopt, you know, Python notebooks. You have to set that a little bit of aside for a moment and be humble and say, I don't understand how your business works. Let's start there. Can you teach me on that? And then, you know, you ask the five whys, you know, everywhere you go to say, okay, before you start prescribing to me, and though they will always prescribe because, you know, everyone gets excited about, all right, we're going to fix this problem. Can I get this? You can compare the value, you know, that you believe 
they they need in their own words to where we start and you can have that conversation and then you can manage expectations which is great right so you can you know under promise over deliver all of those techniques but it's really hard when you're i think our our data community tends to over promise and under deliver as a way to get the interest which it's actually quite successful when you know you have like this notion of if you build ai you know profit will come but that is a really really hard promise to make and keep yeah i interpreted and this might be wrong i interpreted that you're kind of slyly under the covers just hitting base hit after base hit after base hit and you're not going for grand slams out the gate every single time you come up not to say that a base hit isn't good but you're consistently not striking out you'd rather play it not safe but i'm looking to have an inc and i'm the analogy is coming from you said incremental value so i interpreted that as being like let's let's show some value in most of the work that we're doing We'll always try, but let's have a high consistency of some value that's measurable because it feeds us doing the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Is that a safe thing or, or that, is that a misread? It's the first part, let's say. It's, okay. it's not a misread, but it's the first part. Because yeah. if you want to go for, and I'm, I'm really not great with sport analogies, so I hope I get this right. So if you want to swing for the fences, that, that's a baseball yeah, analogy, right? That works. If yep, you want to yep. swing for the fences, right, you have to develop two things trust right and a track record it, well that's still part of trust trust and a track record and then two you need to really understand the business well enough to swing for the fences right so yes i am very risk adverse if, if that's what you're alluding to and i think people should be it may not be in the first six months it may not be in the first 12 months it may not be in the first 18 months or it could be earlier but after you you know you get these hits and these wins, you're learning how to win in this environment, right? Like if you know what a win looks like and both sides know what a win looks like, then you can make bigger and bigger wins. Yeah, I, and I didn't mean that as risk averse. I, I meant it as focusing on consistently delivering value instead of these kind of Hail Mary projects that so often do not work out. You put all your eggs in there and I'm wondering, is it, do you see it as a portfolio? It's like, yeah, I have a couple grand slam plays that we're working on and these are two, three year projects. And then I have nine Tableau dashboard projects and like, you know, not, not super crazy, but those will let, those will provide us with good leverage and measurable value. And something along those lines was kind of the vibe that I got. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. And, I, and I think that it, it's such a, it creates such a positive, productive, fulfilling environment for everyone. And then, you know, value to boot, right? So like your smaller wins, maybe they're, they're not as sexy, you know, they're not, you know, not something you, you would cry home about, but you made someone's life better, right? And that, that creates a lot of goodwill, that creates a lot of ideas, right? You just freed up the subject matter expert to think more with you, right? And they're, and they're not your friends. You just said make someone feel good. That sounds really mushy and emotional to like some <laughs> data people. I, but I'm serious. Like, I, I think it's like th there's this allergic reaction. Like, I, I, I'm not supposed to care about that. I'm supposed to build this technical thing. And then whether you want to use it or not, that's kind of your business. And I very much think it is about like, yeah, it's making accounting's job easier. And it's making marketing people feel like I know how I spent my budget. And I know the returns I got. And I know where to spend next quarter's budget because I have this insight that I didn't have 
And you're literally making that person look better, feel better to their boss. And if you take that approach, it really is a win. But I don't think that's how a lot of people see it. And do you think it really does come down to like <laughs> that level of empathy of just caring about people and like we're kind of like in this service we're in like in a hotel or something, you know, like we're here Absolutely. to serve. You know? Yeah, that is it's a dirty word service, yeah. you know, but it it is a service role, right? Yeah. It's a service business role, which I think is the best of both worlds in, in my view, because yeah. you get the benefit of being technical and still learning all the, the, the cool techniques, but you also get to be a party to value being created. So so let's right. say, yes, you know, you're working with accounting and you've you know spent months with them just getting their data right right so they can close the books faster let, let let's say that was the initial goal but in that process you understand how their account structures work you understand how they budget better and then you start doing this analysis and like you know blending other data sets and you realize you know this particular line item we keep missing budget by a pretty large margin and i'm realizing you know the driver to that is this thing no one was was thinking about. Would you like to continue like a, like a big bigger project to see if we can get better tracking to budget based off of this information? The answer is going to be yes. After you've spent the past couple of months helping them close the books faster, versus promising that you can, you know, find something that they wouldn't otherwise believe you could, because obviously you don't know their business as well. You don't know the accounting structures as well. Like. You just don't have that insight for them to trust you to take that big risk. It is a very safe way to getting to the point where you can have these much bigger wins in their portfolio. And, and yes, I, I truly believe, you know, the sum of all parts is greater than the whole. So yeah, maybe, maybe the split is, you know, nine to two, <laughs> nine small things, you know, that are creative to a pretty big goal and then two massive, you know, this might be white paper worthy type of, of projects. In my experience with like, especially with enterprise, you know, software applications and we're building large scale products, the strategy becomes really, really important and it can't be mush. Like it needs to be what I call design actionable for a product team to actually take, it can't be too detailed, but it needs to be enough that we all can kind of envision our own finished thing that supports the overall strategy, even if it's all different things, because the strategy is not, not supposed to explain the execution of it. When this doesn't exist, is it the job of the service people? So our data product teams and data scientists or designers and engineers, is it partly their job to help figure out what that should be with the stakeholder who says, we need some AI, please, Cindy, can I have some? You know, when you get these vague requirements and we need a predictive model, they're prescribing an, an answer to the problem in it. And when it's not clear, do they need to go back to the drawing board or do we need to go back to the drawing board? Do you think we, the data people, have a strong role in helping figure out what the problem space is? And maybe even telling them like, look, that's gonna be really hard. We probably could do that. It would take years. But now that you've told me about this accounting thing, you have this giant hole over here, which we've done 10 times. Should we work on that instead? Is that how you see it? Like we're, we're there to also figure out the strategy with them instead of waiting for it to be handed to us perfectly well-defined. And, you know, <laughs> I don't think problems come in well-defined most of yeah, the they time. Don't. They just thinking, don't yeah. to the people that need to make them. They're just not, it's just not. I, I hate it when you like hire someone to work on your home 
and they don't ask you any questions and you're kind of like, I don't know toilets. Like, I mean, I just know it's rocking and it's like leaking here, but like you don't kind of want them to start hammering right away. It's like, well, how long has it been going on? And have you ever seen this whatever? And, you know, you kind of almost want them to ask some questions to make sure that you know that what you don't know about. And I, I don't think that always happens. Like, well, that's what they said they wanted. They wanted a model that did this and it had to be 72% accurate. And I don't know what they're going to do with it, but it's there on the shelf when someone's ready to pull it down and use it. It's there. Like, no. <laughs> well, here's my theory. And I, I, I don't know if it's true or maybe it's just my bias because I, I come from a software engineering background. Like, yeah. you know, computer science by trade, I did software for a while before migrating to data. I think when, you know, well before our times, when technology became a division in enterprises, period, I, I can only imagine what that process was like. It was probably the same kind of thing. And then eventually we figured it out. But what I think was interesting about software, it is very requirements based, right? Like, you know, so many, you know, methodologies have come and or, and or gone, you know, be it waterfall, you know, all of those things that say there is a business requirements and then there's a technical requirements. They need to communicate with one another. But the scope of, of what happens in, a, let's say, an app is very finite, right? It's not very dynamic or you would have really bad software, right? So if I push this button and, you know, it tells me what today's date is, you can create a nice requirement for that, you know, from an app's yeah. perspective or a, a payments platform. Like the role, like what a payments platform does should be fairly static, right? You should know exactly what it is. But data, you know, in its introduction into, and I'm using the word enterprise, like, you know, company, whatever, we haven't figured out where it fits, right? You know, I still see, you know, and this is my personal belief, like, you know, data roles rolling into CTOs or technology, right? The nature of what we're talking about right now naturally lends itself to not being in technology because it's not like you can give the data org a finite set of requirements and say, you know, success is that because it's not. It's a conversation on how to get to the business goal. And, and the success is the business goal. It's the data person's role to figure out, you know, how to bridge the gap between the data and that, that business goal in partnership with the person who's actually ultimately accountable as well to it. So you're, you're partly accountable to that business goal. So yes, the process of designing it, I think this is still very new. Everyone's still trying to figure it out. But where I see it working the best is when you start from the business case, you have lots of conversation with the business subject matter expert, you know, pick a department, operations, sales, marketing, finance, and you're working with them to design what the solution is. And the solution has no, it shouldn't be biased by it must be a dashboard. It must be a report. It, it must look like this. The solution could be, we just need an answer to this question. Let's go find it. Or it could be, we actually need a whole software suite to manage this. But that's the role of the data person. What I, again, I, I find difficult because I, I, I think the technology side, you know, benefits from decades of people knowing, okay, you know exactly what the role of someone in a tech or an IT organization does. I still see job descriptions that kind of aren't very consistent, let's say, with getting a data role in that can do that well. 
Right. So I, I, I think it's definitely something where you, you have to be close to the business problem and design it together. It's just the struggle is making sure organizations know when the right time and, and, and what the right first hire is to start that process. When you talk about design, how does how does that work? Are your you know data people going out and, you know, working in small groups with stakeholders and sketching stuff or are they prototyping and getting feedback like what's your definition of design in this context and what do those activities look like yeah typically when let's say when mature because i i like starting you know teams from scratch and sometimes they're just rough and tumble and then we get our processes in place and, and and we're humming so when we're a bit more mature what does it look like we have a map right you know, uh, taxonomy, if you will, of what are all the organizations, right? So, so that we're speaking the language of that value chain that I mentioned. So if you know, well, I'm a, you know, you, you use a marketing example again, this person in the marketing department, they're responsible for allocating marketing dollars and, you know, making sure that we're priming, let's say in the, the real estate world, if you're, you know, allocating marketing dollars to multiple uh, locations to to find tenants for an apartment, let's say, if you see one channel is giving you, you know, ten applications a month, and another one is giving you two, well, you should do some analysis to make sure that there isn't something wrong with the application, you know, or, or the, the the posting on that channel, or maybe it's not a great channel. Right. So, you know, that person is accountable to that value. So when you think back, OK, what is our goal and can we quantify it? Where our goal is to make sure that they're getting as many high quality tenants as possible. That's where we start. From there, the brainstorming of the avenues by which we can look at the data that we have available to us first to see what we can do to improve, which Maybe the analysis starts with, you know, that discovery phase of do we have, you know, the, the data to analyze if uh, if we're actually getting a good apples, you know, to apples comparison. Like, are we getting the same data points from each channel to, to actually tell if one is better than the other? And then from there, we've, we look at, OK, well, let's say we find the winner. Let's say we find, you know what, we really think this has to do with the quality of the channel. How do we let the person that's now accountable to that value creation, how do we give them the right something at the right time of when they need to make that decision? So we'll have a conversation with them. And look, they make this decision once a month, not once a week, not once a day. All right. So we need something that that, that person can use once a month. It needs to you know, give them a perspective on what we've been evaluating as a high quality channel that we've evaluated with them. And maybe it's just a report that sends them an email and says, yeah. Hey, by the way, Bob, like <laughs> these, these are your winners and losers for the month. You know, right before you make that decision on, on, on where to allocate your dollars, take this into consideration. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You said it's right information, but right time in this concept, like the temporal aspect of design is something that's often missing. We, we, we talk a lot about the artifacts, the Excel sheet, the dashboard, the thing, and not always about when the thing is used. And, you know, is there a data collection period? Is there a honeymoon period where it doesn't work right for a while or, you know, whatever it may, there's a lot of different variables. Is it learning from last quarter? Does it need to update on a batch cycle? And like, 
when do they care? And, and this, this when part is, is, is also really important within the experience, I think, to think about. So I, I like that you're looking at that. But I, I wanted to bounce back to the, the beginning of this conversation. It's funny because I was literally going to give you a hypothetical example about marketing spend. So let's role play for a second. Like you're, you're in your, your role and I'm the CMO or something. And I say, hey, Cindy, I need a machine learning algorithm that will help me know where to spend my dollars next quarter. You know, how long will it take for you to build me some ML? Because, you know, that's what everyone else is doing. What do you start with that? It was, I need some ML to help me with my... To understand where, where to spend my dollars. Like, how do we perform where else? And I want to be able to predict, you know, the right buckets to spend my money in TV, radio, internet ads, whatever. You know, like, how do I know how to allocate my money? So can you build me an algorithm that will tell me that? Right. So can you tell me, like, what, what is success for you when this is all said and done? What, what does it look like? What more do you have at the end of it? Well, I want to put as much money as possible into the right channels and as little into the wrong channels as possible. And how do you know you've put it into the wrong channels? Low click through rate. And if there's like some type of, uh, you know, opt in or something like that, you know, we see a low, low level of in the funnel somewhere we track, you know, I don't know, clicks, we track clicks and signups or something, mailing list signups or something like that, let's say. Okay. So, so you're saying that you want to improve the amount of subscriptions to our mailing service as a result of this? Is that what you're measuring as success? Yes, because all in this case, all of our ads go to a place where they have to put an email address in to get more information. So, yeah, you could say that. That's true. All routes eventually lead there. What if I mean, would you be open to the notion that maybe there's something else that may be driving click through rates not being high enough? with your current allocation? Such as? What if, what if maybe the information that we're sending in these channels, what if there's variety in it? Maybe we, we're not exactly sending consistent information across that may be impacting click-through rates. Would, would you want to see that before we- I don't um, care. Make, if you can help you can me raise help. my subscriptions, that's fine. Whatever your magic data science people do, that sounds good. What would Wonderful. you suggest? Wonderful. How about this? Let me take away this information. I need, you know, all the current data sets that your team is currently looking at. Give us a week to analyze it, and then I'll come back with a proposal on how we can improve your click-through rates. Awesome. That sounds great. Notice how I kept like, where's the why? Let's focus on click-through rates, click-through rates, click-through rates, right? So that Leading with the solution, not really finding what the problem is. You know, yeah. we've we've peeled the onion and then opening the door to would you be open to other ways of doing this? Sure. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it's important I never mentioned click through question. rates in that in my question to you. Right. I just mentioned machine learning and then I want to increase, you know, I want to spend money the right way. But that's not maybe exactly what I wanted. I really just wanted to get more signups and spend it correctly here and Maybe it's taking away something instead of adding something. Maybe it's <laughs> change the creative. Maybe it's we don't know what it is, but that's the point is let's let's isolate the goal. I, and and just for the listeners, we didn't plan to do this. I didn't tell no, you I no. was going to make you do that, <laughs> but but I figured we would arrive. You would interrogate me really efficiently from our conversation. And this is the kind of conversations that I'm always hoping teams are having more is to really get at that root problem and, and opening the doors to other things and not just it's not McDonald's, right? It's. <laughs> 
it's more the place where there's no menu and it's like, what do you guys like to drink? And like, you know, like some of the cocktail bars in New York used to be this way. There's no menu. And they just, they talk to you about what you like and they're like, okay, I have a couple options. This one's more fruity. This one's more bitter. You know, how does that sound? And yeah, let's try that, you know, and now you're onto something new and it's totally different experience than it is like. (laughs) Absolutely. And giving the model and, you know, (laughs) you know, what's interesting though, sometimes, you know, not all the times, but these conversations, the person was thinking, all right, this is going to be huge. It's going to take a long time. Let's just get ahead of it. Let's just do it. And the solution after you do the due diligence may be very simple. So you've created goodwill. Right. You've created, you know, they've kind of like, you know, decompressed and said, oh, this is great. Maybe there was a filter somewhere that, you know, you can remove and then, you know, off to value creation and to the, you know, to the idea of, you know, having that portfolio. You also want to be, you know, quick to kind of grab the extra capacity that you just created for something a little bit more interesting. So you may want to take that opportunity and say, okay, great. The solution was really simple. And then we're going to give you some reporting to see how the subscription rates are going up. But we want to take a little bit more of the capacity that we saved to then maybe work on another project to see if there's something else we can do with sentiment data, right? That may be useful for the marketing team, right? That's how you buy your time, you know, for the more interesting, progressive. Well, that's how I buy my time, rather. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, for the more interesting and progressive ideas, because it, 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 it's a dialogue versus, you know, like the big bang. If we do a sentiment analysis, we will understand how what all of our customers think and we'll give them exactly what we need. Very hard promises to make if what they're still focused on yet and still is I just need better click through rates. Right, right. Is this skill something that you train people in? Do you hire a special person to only do that? Do you hire data people that you think have that? Like, what? how do you approach that? Having more people than just Cindy, because Cindy can't scale. How do you approach that? In a mature state, I have a dedicated data product manager role. That is something that, but in a rough and tumble, we're starting, you know, one person on the team kind of thing, or I have a data engineer, that's all I got everyone should understand product, right? Yeah. And and even, even just creating the language of product is I find very helpful in, you know, creating a center of gravity for everyone, right? Even, even like your software engineers, your business teams, the, the fact that we can just, you know, put a circle around, here's what the data product is, right? And then putting it in equal footing from like, like an, an, a legacy report and a snazzy dashboard or this model that we're creating, they're all products. So, it, you know, it, it's where we invest time. It's how, you know, it's meant to connect to a certain piece of value in the business strategy. It's really great, like forcing mechanism, you know, to create an environment where everyone thinks in terms of value and the thing that helps us get to value. That's the data product. But I think it's valuable, like data scientists, data engineers that, you know, like what's your role relative to that data product? Mm-hmm. I totally agree too. this. This data product management role is is really important. I also like that you didn't call it an AI product management role, because that to me suggests a solution. It, like I'm going to use this hammer on every project, you know, Like, but joking aside, I wanted to ask you a little bit of uh, kind of close this out about strategy again, because that that is your head of strategy. And 
Samir Sharma has a show. I think you know him. That's how you found me actually was was through the episode that I guested on his show. And if I recall correctly, and I think it's Samir, like his his focus is that, you know, there really is no data strategy. There's a business strategy that includes data components. And at the beginning of this episode, you you mentioned, I think data is a business unit. So I'm curious your take. Do you agree with him? How do you reconcile whether or not data is actually a business function or data is a supplement to the business? Is it kind of subordinate or it's kind of its own thing? It sounds like it's its own thing in your world. Yeah. Again, this is Cindy view of the world. I, I see, I agree with Samir, but I, how I agree with him is yes, there is no independent data strategy. It is a function of the business strategy and in execution, you create a data function that is a partner to a sales function or a marketing function, right? These are all value creators to the business goal. So that's how I reconcile that statement. Where I still think it, you know, maybe what I'm saying still sounds odd or, or confusing is because a advanced practitioner of data is very technical, right? In the sense of like, can code, no statistics, can do these things. But I think the taboo around that will fade over time and we'll just look at it as a, a business function, no other than any of the others that I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been a really great conversation. Tell me what's coming up for you. Where can people find out about your work and, and follow you and all of that? Any, you mentioned a white paper at some point. Do you publish some things once in a while? But tell me about that. Well, no, <laughs> I haven't. But, <laughs> but something know, might be coming, it sounds like. Something so. might be coming. You know, okay. look out. Well, I want to get better at posting at LinkedIn, but people can find me on LinkedIn. What I look, I personally, you know, aside from like my responsibilities or my day to day, I'm really enthusiastic about like, helping the next generation of data professionals. Like I said, I, I think our, our role is still evolving and, and people are still learning. So the more people that are pushing in, in the right direction, the better. So uh, what's coming next for me, you know, both, you know, growing my team, you know, where I am and, you know, also happy to, you know, help folks who are still trying to figure it out. Yeah. This is a uh, great. I will be happy to link up the, your LinkedIn there. And it's, it's been a really nice conversation. So thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. It's been great. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Experiencing Data with Brian O'Neill. If you did enjoy it, please consider sharing it with the hashtag Experiencing Data. To get future podcast updates or to subscribe to Brian's mailing list, where he shares his insights on designing valuable enterprise data products and applications, visit designingforanalytics.com slash podcast.